0: That a little bit quicker than I thought because I don't have YouTube premium, but, um, (coughs) just finished watching, um, Francis Ford Coppola's masterpiece, The Godfather Part 2, 1974, 3? 74. 74. Um, this is the culmination of our round looking at Al Pacino. We've previously looked at Dog Day Afternoon, um, center of a woman. woman and heat this is actually therefore his earliest performance um, from that list because although Doctor afternoon sort of arguably yeah. you'd say is a, is a bit more of like a more immature performance to a degree than or' sort of a bit more you know obviously he's a lot more refined in this um, but this is actually his his earliest performance of the group that we've watched um, you know he's an astounding actor and it's just been a pleasure watching all four of those films <clears throat> touching on the godfather specifically um i think this film is i consider it to be an absolute perfection of its of its form and it, it is a pure film um something that unlike the godfather Part one, and I think we'll dive into this later, but after we speak on first um, impressions, The Godfather Part One, you know, it's based on a, a pullback novel. It, um, you know, it's, it's, it's got some brilliant dialogue and some brilliant, you know, tension and scenes and the structure behind it, the narrative structure behind it is amazing. This film is, I think it's a perfection of the film genre given so much of its importance is picked up in things that can only be picked up in film and that ties back to Al Pacino's portrayal of Michael Corleone in this film. We you know we mentioned it during the watch but so much of the film is contra- um is portrayed through his eyes and the little looks left and right and that's something that's an entirely unique um an entirely unique presentation to the film genre. Obviously that's something you know they can't Readily be transferred to in print and even something like, you know, a play or an opera, you can't get that sort of subtlety of the movement of the eyes and the these looks um, that Michael portrays in this film. And that's why I think it's, it is purely, it's like the quintessential um, creation of, you know, just an absolutely amazing film. And it's one of my favourite films of all time. Um, and that's why I chose it. Um so maybe we'll just go around the table and go from there.
1: Yeah, um It had been some time since I would seen it, uh and I found like I found that like throughout like remembering parts I'd absolutely forgotten. But it, it's exactly what you were saying, that like there's such a subtlety to the performances and the, and the story that like if you didn't know what was going on, you could just be like, like especially in that first, uh, about like a third of the way in, where he's trying to figure out who's betrayed him and, and figure out like how, um, who tried, who set up the hit. Because he's playing like all these different people, he doesn't trust anybody like, and it's him, uh, it's Pacino lying to all these different people. So, and he's like, so convincingly. It's like measuring them up, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's it. Every single scene is like he's telling them something, but he's like waiting for their response to what he's saying rather than actually giving them any information. So that entire time, you're like, what does he actually believe right now? Until it like, ultimately pays off. And that's why it's so beautiful in the medium
0: of film because, like, in a novel, you either have to kind of obscure his motives um, by like, not sort of going first person perspective or you have to just kind of lay them bare. And that's why this film is so rewatchable and that's why this film is so good because when you're watching it, you're like, okay, like, what is Michael thinking here? Mm. What is he doing? He's saying these words, but what does he mean? And how does it all put together? And that's why it's just like such an infinitely great
1: film. Yeah, and you have that like that element of him um, like figuring it all out, but like playing it like he's kind of like a mastermind chess like you move kind of approach to it. But then you also have in the, in the scene where Fredo slips up and lets slip, but he's in the background, he's clearly shocked. And like, it's in the background. So you're like, you know, yeah. he's like, the focus isn't even on him, but he's like having a full like meltdown kind of reaction to it. And, and yeah. And that's and, like, that's the, br- like,
0: that's the brilliant thing of the film. And not that a film necessarily should be something that has to, Demand under, to, to, you know, to mm. demand your full attention. It to understand. There's just such a beauty in that, in the sense of if you were sitting there on your phone, chatting to your girlfriend, you know, you know, maybe you know even getting a little smooching or something like, you might miss something like that, mm. and then you're like, hey, what the fuck? Like, how does he know Fredo is like betrayed him? And it's like because you didn't catch his reaction in the back of that scene. And it rewards
1: that attentive viewer. It just doesn't like like hit you over the head with it. No, it's like a trust audience to be like you know paying attention to, to And the trust be, is like, be, and the, but to the genius be of that
2: in. is that it is a mafia film, and he is a mob boss. So he has that attention to detail, mm-hmm. and that's a huge part of the film. Is that you genuinely believe, in a legacy standpoint, that he is Vito's son. Because he has exactly the same sharpness to him, exact exactly the same wits about him. He's so good at bringing people together. He's so good at recognizing when someone has betrayed him, or and that's and that is you know the key trait of being a mob boss. It's the same trait we see in every mob boss portrayed in film or television, and that's why you know this film is considered as great as it is this with the first one it is the most influential film in the history of Hollywood, um, and it defines the gangster genre, which is, you know, I think, safe to say, all three of our favourite genre or one of our favourite yeah. genres for, for everything that came after it. But, and um, it's, it's a fantastic Pacino performance at a very young age. I think we mentioned before he's only 34 in this film. Um, it's interesting because I watched the first one in anticipation of watching this again. I've seen the second one probably double the amount of times that I've seen the first one. Really? So I think I'm the and, opposite. Yeah, so I rewatched the first one just to, just to make sure that I was uh, completely up to speed to watch the second one. I think I always watched the second one more because early on it was like critics and cinephiles alike considered the second one so much better than the first one. And there's a, a small group of people that consider the first one better. But that's why I think like, if I was ever in the mood to watch Godfather film, I will like, say oh, I'll put the second one on. And you don't really need to have seen the first one to pick up what's going on in the second one. But um, having watched the first one, I, I, I think it's a fantastic point that you made, Connor, about the first one being true to the original text, which I haven't read. I know you've read it. Yeah. But um, you the, the subtleties in the two films are actually quite not subtle when you watch them in close succession the first one reads and feels so much like a novel and that one films so much more like a film much more like a passion project much more like it's the director taking it up to 10 um whilst the first one it's it's a lot more dialogue it's a lot more subtlety there's a lot more tension building it's just a completely different film and vibe um, and I'm actually not sure now having watched that second one again which one I enjoy more because they're great for different reasons so it's a, it's a tough one
0: well I think that's right in a sense of uh, it absolutely is a passion project and it's just like so amazing to think that you know when we look at throughout history and film and sort of the lazy sequel and the sort of, this, you know, the films that as they release more and more films, they get worse and worse and worse. Like you know, And usually it, it goes hand in hand with the further they get away from the original text. Yeah, yeah. like the classic examples, you know, like recently it's like, you know, the Fast Series Serious franchise, which yeah. has just like gotten worse. And Game worse of and Thrones. Worse every There's single so many examples, actually. yeah. And it's like astounding that despite the fact that he didn't have a, a base text to base the... Um, the Michael Corleone aspect of this film. Obviously, the Vito Corleone aspect is covered in the first book, but the Michael Corleone, you know, narrative of this film is completely, is completely made up. So it's just it is a testament that the that this film was able to succeed so well and to be so brilliant. Um, while simultaneously being so true to the original, it doesn't feel like even though it is a different it's a different type of film it's much more serious it's much more dire it's much more operatic um but simultaneously you know as we discussed sort of downplayed in elements you know it's not over the mm-hmm. top and yet it still fits perfectly with the first film like they are a literal perfect part 1 and part 2 despite the fact that there is so much difference in them
1: it's it is a stroke of genius to figure out that where one is the rise of Michael Corleone, that you do the, the downfall, and then also use that in contrast Juxtapose against yeah, the in rise of Vito. To the rise of yeah, and then it really highlights the differences between the two. Like at the end of it, um, with Michael's like loneliness and like sorrow, just became so aware of um, Vito's, I guess defining characteristic as that person who helps people. Well, that's what... brings people together to to come to him in order to, like, achieve things. Not once does Michael do that at all. He doesn't, like... No. People don't ask favours of him. No. He just gets shit done. Yeah. And Vito also got shit done, but his defining trait was that helping people, regardless of, like, they're civilians. He's just like, I'll help you out. And this is... Vito's
2: closer to the... Italian off the well, that's boat. What, um,
1: Yeah, That's what I'm going to say.
0: So this yeah. is like, you know, is the core theme of this film, this sort of like the inherent soullessness of the corporation and the capital, you know, sort of conglomerate mm. and like how we look at it today in the sense of like, you know, you can look at these small fragments, like, you know, you look at like what I do, you know, for my work and, you know, me and my direct boss have a very strong relationship and we're very close friends and it's a very personal relationship in the middle of the business. And we sort of, you know, even with some of our clients, we have very strong personal relationships and that as well. But once you start expanding it out to the broader business, that interpersonal and that that values-based relationship sort of gets weakened and weakened and then they try and replace it by these sort of corporate, you know, like values. Like, Mm -hmm. hey, these are our values, whatever, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, it kind of gets tied back in the... It gets lost in the volume of it. And that's what this film highlights in the sense of, like, Michael's the family business has become so large that he's effectively had to lose his soul to continue to control it because it can't, it can't have gotten so large if he had the same principles as his father. And so it's that opportunity cost it's that you know what have you done to you know you've had the success but what does it cost and that's a that's a a a sentiment that absolutely has rung true over the last 40 years with corporations to this day
2: and i mean that's what david chase has admitted that that was his inspiration for the sopranos was this idea that the you know he uses tony as the suburban gangster in New Jersey, but it's this idea that the, there's an incompatibility between being the mob boss and having the traditional Italian values yeah. and also having a functional family. And you know, that's, the inspiration for that is from this film yeah. and is one of the, 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 the large themes of this film. And that's why I think the, um, the side-by-side comparison and the transitions between the origin story in that film and the, the current, the current uh, story is so fantastic because you see the differences between. I mean, Vito's walking down like a dirt street in the middle of New York City. So he's like dealing with do- like dollars, like hundreds of dollars, yeah, like ten dollars. Yeah, you know? yeah. And he's dealing with like, which would have been an exceptional amount of money back yeah. then, he's dealing with people, um, their acts of charity towards him are like a free vegetable or a yeah. bag of vegetables or whatever it is. And it is, it's this idea that the 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 crime family as an enterprise became too complex and, and became too large and was incompatible with its original mission, which was to protect neighborhoods that were not protected by the police well, yeah. um, and the racketeering and that's and what also the crime as a... explores it's, there's no there 's no place for this anymore um, in contemporary society and not only does the the mafia get too complex, but the police who are watching the mafia become too complex. You're no longer able to navigate huge policy decisions like granting a casino licence based on a handshake. No. It's just, it's too big, there's too much legislation, there's too much law enforcement. It's no. no longer possible. And that's why, like, the five families in New York City now have a fraction of the power that they did even 20 years ago. And even this film explores how it sort of
0: cannibalises itself in the sense of they, the industries that become popular and become profitable are the ones that prey on the people that they're, you know, is supposed to ostensibly protect like your drug trade and your gambling trade yeah. are inherently the profits that you make from them are inherently tied to vulnerable people, the exploitation of vulnerable people <coughs> rather than the protection of them. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, again, it covers through this film of, you know, vetoes out there, you know, running you know, your general protection rackets of, Families and businesses, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and then Michael's investing in, and you know, I think this, you know, absolutely, you know, in the free, you know, sort of free market principles of people being able to gamble if they want to, but it is undoubtedly an exploitative industry um, that he expands into to become to take his sort of ultimate power effectively. And the irony is that that's how he becomes legitimate. That's the irony of the film, in the sense of under the laws of the world the protectionist racket that is more principled is the thing that is more legal than the exploitative legal business of gambling that he eventually has to transition into to maintain his power. Yeah. I
1: think that's really interesting, like, yeah, but, uh, but then at the same time, like what the, the future steps and what he's looking to are, are still like those, um, We'll, we'll go into Cuba and we'll, we'll get the corrupt government on board and, like, it's the most removed thing as, like, as humanly possible from the community and the helping of, like, other Sicilian, like, neighbours... Yeah. ...is to go to a com- uh, a country with, like, a corrupt government and absolutely just, like, have, have free reign, do whatever it takes, uh, do whatever you want and make as much money as humanly possible, which was ultimately the goal with um, Han. Uh, so... Yeah, it's, like, th- those two elements of, of the contrast between Vito and, and Michael is just, like, very, just really emphasised the downfall, really, and,
0: like... And that's what this film is about. The, the film is about the two. Michael Corleone's downfall, and it the brilliance of it is that it can play that sort of... Anti-hero aspect of the film where he's the protagonist and you're still sort of rooting for him to succeed, or you're definitely out rooting for him to succeed and you're backing him, and yet you're backing him in his fall to hell. Effectively, you know, his, um, you know, he has to kill his brother, sell out an old, He doesn't have to sell out an old friend, family friend, but eventually has to, you know, ask an old family friend to murder himself and Lose it separate wife. his wife.
2: Becomes so doesn't, doesn't hang out with his kids. Loses his unborn son.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. The ultimate the ultimate you know form of suicide.
0: Exactly. And um and yet yeah, we have to root for him the whole time. Mm. Um and that's the yeah, that's like the knife's edge that the film plays on, it just does it so well. Because you do like I don't know, what you guys but like whole time you're like, yeah, fuck yeah, we'll fucking kill that
2: Harmon i can't. Yeah, you want, you want anyone who's a threat to him, the film does such a good job of you wanting him to take them out. He's like a, a ball of momentum that every kill he gets and every... well, And, and I mean, that's the irony of the mafia in general, this, this concept, and, you know, again, the Sopranos did this great as well, where a new villain arises, a new threat arises. They are subsequently killed. The person you think gets stronger as a result, but really they're getting weaker and weaker... Because every time they have to lash out like that, they become less safe, not more safe. Um, and that's why, the, you know, that's why, foundationally, what the Mafia is today and what the Mafia is in that film doesn't work as, a, as an enterprise and as a concept, because it, it's, it's constantly someone coming in that's bigger and better. It's not free enterprise, because people don't come in based on ideas or new ways of doing things. It's the opposite. It's holding on to the tradition whilst trying to keep up with the new world. It, it doesn't work, they're incompatible. Yeah. So what, what do we think of um, comparing Pacino's performance? We mentioned it a little bit, but the comparison of Pacino's performance to the other films we've watched in this round, he obviously gives a very different performance in this film to particularly send to a woman, and I'd say Heat as well. Um I know kind of you're a huge fan of his performance in this film. Uh, yeah. Why, why do you think this performance is better than some of the other films we've
0: watched in this round? I think this is my one of my favourite performances in film ever from an, from an actor. And I think it is... It's because of the levers that he can pull. Uh, you know, as I said, I've touched on it before, like sort of the the sentiment and the narrative point that he's able to portray just through like a glare of his eyes or a slight look to the left, like that's magical in itself. But also we see some of the future Pacino in this film, like where those couple of times that he, you know, lashes out, that, 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 yeah. that he cranks it up where he says in my house yeah. where my wife sleeps, where my children play with their toys. Like he has that kind of up and down, you know, sort Office of control. Um, yeah, that that we see later on in things such as *Center of a Woman* and Where it's you know, turned up to twenty. His yeah. more and even some of his more um, bombastic roles, yeah, such as *Heat* and stuff like that. We see those brief glimpses of it, but he uses it to perfection to exclaim the his very measured and very clinical performance throughout the rest of the film. Um, and it's just, it's exactly what you want. Like there's so many great quotes and moments that he has whilst also, also simultaneously the balance of his entire performance is just brilliant. And that comes to the point of the fact that he didn't win best actor for this film.
2: Well, the Academy Awards this year is really interesting because it's fucking stacked yeah you have 11 nominations each from Chinatown yeah. and Godfather Part yeah. 2 which I mean I know Zana agrees Chinatown is one of the best films ever oh I agree totally. and um you have Nicholson you have Pacino you have De Niro and then Best Actor is, is one by I, yeah Best Actor which <laughs> is just like what um <laughs> and Best Actor De Niro does win Best Supporting Actor yeah, yeah. um but um but yeah the there's best actors won by some legacy. Almost every category should have been won by either Chinatown or yeah. Godfather Part 2, and that was not the case. Although this was better received than the first Godfather by the Academy, hmm. which is interesting. Um, particularly given, I think, on release, it had mixed reviews. Yeah. And then subsequently, the reviews were obviously like, oh, no, this is not the best film well, i have made. Yeah, and it's like, as we said,
0: it's because the film doesn't handhold you and because it demands like, rewatch, and it like. Now, I was, I was sitting there watching the film that time, and I was like, yeah, look, actually, this all makes sense now to me, I think. Mm. And, but that's because I've seen it four or five a times. A few times, And I've yeah. listened to podcasts and analysis about it. But yeah. if you were a person just watching that for the first In time, you'd be line, like, yeah. wait, hold, like, like who, was the, who was the traitor? Was it Roth or was it Pantangeli? Yeah. Like,
2: what did Fredo do? You know, yeah, they don't. They don't like, like, what the film does, the film takes a lot of levities, and it doesn't it doesn't give you a lot of infrastructure between relationships of the characters. It doesn't spell out for you. This person is that person's right hand man, and they're kind of connected and they're not really associated with the Corleone family but they're associates and And there's a lot lot of work to take... Like, wait, who's that guy? Yeah, there's a lot of names just purely based on the fact that there's so many characters. Yeah. but I agree that after you've seen it a few times, you pick up on the subtleties and it all kind of makes sense. I almost would advise someone who hasn't seen it to just like let it take you the first time. Just watch it and and just, it for, and then, let, and then and take enjoy, it for what it is. Yeah, enjoy the like you know hours that you're going to think about it yeah. afterwards. Enjoy the individual yeah. scenes. Enjoy particularly the the build up and the narrative of Vito's story because that adds a lot of context. Um, but you're not going to piece together every single family tree on the first watch of that film. No. And I mean, like, yeah, then that's some of the most
0: exciting parts is, like, picking back. It's like, okay, so... So, Fredo betrayed them, which led to the drapes, but you still don't even really know, like, what the extent of Fredo's betrayal was. Like, was it just that he told them where the that Michael sleeps, or was it that he personally went in and opened the drapes, or what was the betrayal? Like, that's still a secret that the film doesn't give out and then you're like okay so who was it who was it who was he betraying to was it pantangeli who's the one who's kind of out there actively being like michael you know i need this i need you to do that you're not you're not supporting me your father would do this and you kind of the first watch you're like oh that kind of seems like he's blah 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 And then you turn to the Hyman Roth character who's much more business focused and then he eventually gives himself up later where he's effectively like, hey, I didn't ask who put the order on my friend. You shouldn't ask of me. And you eventually... It's business. It's all business. Yeah. But then that's his downfall is that he didn't let it be all business because he did hold that revenge and he did in... Against the business decision, he did push for Michael's downfall. Um, So all that stuff that you sort of pick up like on the multiple views, the intricacies, the web of the film is what makes it so... Yeah, if anything, the only character in the
2: whole saga that's able to put things aside for business is Vito in the first film. Mm. Um, But other than that, like, it's all personal, particularly in that film that film is much more about relationships and business. They use the casino and they use the Cuba thing as kind of a backdrop, but really the whole time Mm. when you watch that film, you're thinking who is fucking who right now and how is it going to play out? Whilst the first film does seem a little bit more business orientated. And that even plays into the fact of um,
0: one of the, one of the key points of the film, like you know, for me and one of the key points in Michael's sort of downfall is the his relationship with Kay and their unborn son Mm. and you're right in the sense of um, the heart of that is Hagen's sort of mini-betrayal of coordinating Kay to have the abortion and then telling Michael that it was a miscarriage and that's obviously a personal decision Mm. and that's at like the heart of the, the tragedy of the film that Hagen, who's this very technical and very commercial legal man yeah even he's caught up in the pers- in the in the personal aspect of yeah he's not even blood
2: related but somehow his family dynamics come into play heavily in that film yeah whilst he's seen as a lot more impartial in the first film yeah mm. I just love um both in the first film and in part two the opening scenes of both films are so brilliant they're just such tone setters and scene setters. I, I love them. I feel like I could watch them over and over and over again. You obviously have the wedding in the first movie and in the second movie you have the, the, the um, First Communion, Holy Communion, whatever you call yeah. it. And the, the amount of detail that Francis puts into these scenes, um, the amount of dancing and choreography going on in the background, the instrumentation, um, the, the, the time of day that it's mm-hmm. filmed at... Like, all of it is just, he's, he is, he's, he's one of the best to ever do it. He's another Scorsese, he's another Polanski where you just like, he's not all, oh, Stanley Kubrick's the ultimate. But there's just no detail in the film that is not deliberate. Well, and it. at a scale this big, in a film this large, it is so impressive to watch and just absorb. You feel like you're there, sitting there in a chair, yeah. having a... Wine, it's amazing, and and not only in the scale and performance of it, but just how critical it
0: is to the film, and it's something that I tried to use in the sort of limited writing that I've um, sort of done myself. But it's such a brilliant trope in the sense of you put all these people together at the very start of your film, and you can exp- you can plant all these little threads that mm. then that then spread out throughout the whole film. So in that first communion scene, you have. Pantangeli being concerned about, you know, his thing. You have um Fredo being cucked by his wife and just being an embarrassment and not being able to handle it. Um, you have Geary, you know, with his like slimy, like kind of, you know, fuck you, you're an outsider, like you, you you you're nothing. All these things that end up being the core theme of the film get tight, you know, and like, you know, um, and of course, like Michael's sort of like trying to be legitimate and you know, sort of this awkward handshake that he has with Geary that he's just is out of place and all all these sort of things. It's all tied up in that first scene and then you just watch it happen throughout the rest of the film. It's also, um,
1: it's also the separation of Michael from everybody. Like he like ostensibly his guest at this thing, they're all talking about having to line up to to get with him and like he's not readily available for anybody, even like his own sister, or his own brother, those sorts of people. Yeah. And it's just like Contrast it with one where Vito's like, yeah, he's taking those meetings, but he's also wandering through the wedding. He's like yep. greeting people. He's like very much in a part of like everyone. Everything is being seen by everyone. Yeah. And Vito,
2: in the first film, takes basically the entire wedding out to do that. Mm. whilst Michael's like, I have like three key meetings. It's like a you know trying to get time with the partner. They're like, I have three meetings today. Otherwise, I'm gonna have to wait till tomorrow. And that's not the approach that someone you know who's the, the head of the family can can take, um, but it's, it's, I feel like the the opening scene in that film you can almost take you could take out everything in between and linearly just have that scene and then the scene when they're at the commission getting questioned. Mm. Like if you just did that scene, and obviously like they're running a crime family, and then had the, the the next scene where they're getting the interviewed about their involvement mm. or whatever, that could be like a short film. Like they almost link up particularly because. Uh, do you see um, what's the politician's name? Geary. Do you see him again in between that? There's like a, there, there's the scene in um Cuba. Cuba, yeah. So you see him at the wedding, then you see him with the prostitute. Yeah, with, yeah, with the prostitute, right? Where they uh, flip right. him. where they set him up because they set him up, a kill him, <laughs> yeah. kill the
0: prostitute. Yeah, and, so, and then what then the Cuba fuck, and, and, and then Cuba in there. The one, thing... Yeah. I don't really understand why he's in Cuba. That's the one part I don't really understand, but like. It doesn't matter. Like, yeah, like he's just. Yeah. Well, I think he's just,
1: yeah, he's oh, so yeah, yeah, a, b- a bunch of senators come. Yeah, and he's connected and everything. Every yeah. yeah.
2: But, um. And US politicians, presumably, at that time would have had a lot to do with the destabilization of Cuba. Yeah. So, probably involved somehow. But, yeah,
0: so. No, nah, it's just, it's brilliant. It's brilliant.
1: What? So. It's it's interesting to look like, those two scenes, because I feel like those two scenes were, like, primarily the ones that had that overcrowded kind of, it's not an overcrowded feeling because the composition of the f- shots still feel intimate, like very intimate, very, yeah. like calming like it's not, it's never too much <laughs> 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 yes, we are. but like, you know, like the, the there's just like, so much going on there's like a lot of people there's a lot of management. it's chaos, it's chaos yeah. but like it's still very nice to look at and there's cameras fine. clicking in both scenes yeah, but for different
2: reasons one's yeah. a celebration of the family and a celebration of the connections and the relationships and the second one is kind of a little bit in a in a well, reverse yeah. way well and it's like the people on the inside turning on each other as well so yeah it's sort of like that sort of coming together family thing yeah sorry <laughs> um so what were we talking about? We were just talking about the, the the similarities between the opening scene and that scene when they're being interviewed by the commission, and how it, they're, they're both representations of the family, but in different ways. One's a lot, see a, a, a lot more wholesome, a lot more conventional. The second one is, you know, these people going to war for Michael essentially, and yeah. saying like, I don't know, it's an olive oil business, and just kind of, yeah. I don't know, nothing about nothing.
0: <laughs> the police they get, the FBI they come to me. They say, Michael do this, Michael do that. I say... Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah it's a brilliant it's a brilliant moment and it's like he's saved by the sicilian values by the brother of Frankie five Andrews reminding him that hey this is not how things are done yeah and yet we've as we've just discussed like he's really gone away you know doesn't really deserve to be saved by those mm. sicilian values with all the activities that he's done that's like the the beautiful the beautiful like sort of my brother can't get
1: out of the country fast enough. Yeah, because he's like, like, this place is unfamiliar to me. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah okay. One thing I want to quickly talk about before, I think we're going to have to wrap this up relatively quickly, unfortunately. But one thing I want to quickly talk about is the ending of the film Michael sitting there, um, alone, successful, having vanquished his enemies, but unfortunately alone do we think the third film is necessary to understand the whole picture? Like, what is our personal opinions?
2: No. no. no I, I never thought it was, and I think um, both in a conceptual perspective from the actual artistic perspective of the film, I think the answer is no, but I also think from reality, the answer was no as well, and that Francis was just kind of pressured into making the third one for mm-hmm. commercial reasons. Yeah. um and also if you look at where his career was at that point um wasn't exactly a high mark you know he definitely peaked in the 70s and the late 70s so I, th- I think the is no I, I always had wished it ended there um for various reasons
0: I personally enjoy the third film and I think it's underrated in terms of I think people I agree with it, that it's how bad I, it is yeah yeah I but I that. agree that I don't think it's necessarily needed I think we've seen Michael's fall enough yeah. and then the third film is sort of in the sense of he kind of falls to hell in this film and then I think you can see the third film is a bit of like you know his punishment and you know eventually the actual eventual loss of his family and his eventual death and you I think that has some thematic points that are valuable to the film but I don't think it's critical to the first two films the
1: more the more interesting part is yeah sure he's still he's won in quotation marks, but, like, it, like, he's lost everything. Yeah. That's the more interesting to, like, point. There, it's like, yeah, the combination of all his choices has left him alone and, like, it's, like, sad and miserable and just isolated and, like, lacking all, everything that his father had that made his father great.
2: I think it's more profound that he has a spiritual death rather than a physical death. Mm -hmm. I just think it it works better with the the tone of the film, it works better, exactly as Sam Sam said, with the comparison to Vito, and I just think it's a neater, tighter, more profound ending. Yeah, I agree.
1: Real quick, which is your favourite Vito, Brando or De Niro? Brando. Yeah, Brando. I yeah. really like um, De Niro's. I He's think De Niro's awesome. is really good. Mm. I think... The question's more just like, they're both fucking
2: they're, yeah. yeah. De Niro is awesome and it works It works seamlessly. I never at any point are you questioning it, but I just think the Brando performance is so it's iconic good, right? and so distinct mm-hmm. and it's just like, it's almost like everything I imagine in my head when I think of a gangster. Right, and I also think yeah. like, they don't really
0: have enough time to go to give... De Niro's Vito, actual—that's well, that's the thing. But they don't actually have <laughs> the time. They another Forty minutes, To give, he doesn't actually face many challenges. It kind of just all falls into place for him. Yeah, that's and true. I yeah. think therefore, I think I just enjoy actually seeing Vito sort of as as um, as a boss, as a yeah. boss, like actually struggling and and having yeah. to make tough decisions. Um, I think it would
1: be difficult to do him struggling though, knowing. Like from the first movie where it gets to it's just like yeah. the stakes here are what because yeah we know that he's yeah I think they work in
2: synergy and it's not really yeah. like oh, uh-huh. one's better than the other they work together quite yeah. well but I just like the place in the narrative of the film mm. um, the later beat yeah. obviously um, but it's a fantastic Niro performance like some of the heaters between the transition scenes between Pacino and him are just like yeah oh amazing. <laughs> so, Two of radio, so I gotta wrap it up yep. relatively quickly. But we cookie of
0: radio. So we've spoken to our, our esteemed colleague Daniel who said it's a it's a perfect 10 for him.
1: Um, what do you what do you think, Zan? I yeah, I agree. It's a it's a 10 for me as well. But yeah, the movie it's just incredible, but Yeah. Can't sing its praises higher. No. Yeah.
2: yeah, it's a 10 for me as well. Um, not only because of how much I enjoy the film and how brilliant the performances are and but because of the, the genre-defining element of it and everything that came after it that I love so much, including Goodfellas and The Sopranos, um, that universe doesn't exist for me without this film and this film has all the the skeleton of everything that came after it and that's why I love it so much all yeah.
1: your all, all your favourite directors are like yeah Godfather part 1 and 2 are the reason yeah, so yeah.
0: It's, that makes sense. It's, it's the same for me it's 10 for me as yeah. well and um, yeah I so said brilliant performances and I think the sort of narrative suspense you know it's not a suspense film but the suspense and the mystery able to be weaved through the narrative is just like the perfect example of the form for me I think just quickly. I think the one thing I like to say is so. We all obviously give it perfect tens. Would you call it your favorite film of all time, or is it sort of just it's in the pantheon of tens, but it's not your personal
2: favorite? It's well, in the pantheons of ten for me, yeah. but it's not my favorite. It's not even my favorite film from this year, mm-hmm. but it's in the pantheons of ten for me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I
1: think I, I agree with that. I, Chinatown's up there. That's one oh. of my favorites. But even that, I'm like, I wouldn't. Difficult to say favourite And no. have to go and Think about that Exactly all. Like I'm
0: I've said This is my favourite film In the past And I think that's Probably still holds true But I think As I've been focused On film With the three of us Um In the past A bit more You know I think I'm appreci- You know I think there's a few That are knocking on the door That I'd like to just Rediscover a bit And I appreciate Our discussions
2: I and like the hard. um I like the Bill Simmons methodology Of like 1A, 1B, 1C, 1T. Like, this is a one film yeah, for me. Absolutely. I don't know which tier it is. It's probably a Pantheon film. Like, if I were to list them, it probably makes my top 12. Yeah. Um, And it's a 10, because there's probably not that many... There's probably, what, 20 10s ever, kind of thing. Um, And this is in the the 10 of those 10, of those yeah. 20, you know, so... Um,
1: yeah, I wouldn't die on a hill arguing with anyone. You no, know, no, a, no. A movie's better than this one. So. No. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 Cool. Best film from the best genre. I would, yeah. I would give it that title. Well,
0: that's the end of the round. We'll be kicking off a new one next, so see where we go there. Maybe we might even have a chat about sort of favourite ones we've done so far. Um, so maybe we can come revisit this a little bit in a discussion next up before we kick into a new round, maybe. Um, give this a little bit more time that it deserves. But, alright. Uh, Thanks a lot, Connor.